I'm gonna live. Welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Movie Ladder Podcast, where we are all about cinematic connections, usually. But tonight, we are going to talk about a TV miniseries. But each week on the Movie Ladder Podcast, we are talking about movies that connect to the movie from the previous weeks. Um, but we do not have any connections forward or backwards from this. We just thought it would be, uh, this was an interesting show to talk about. So I am Zach Brooks, and as always, I am joined by Brenda Fitzpatrick. And we have a special guest tonight. You have heard his feedback and connections on Movie Ladder Podcast for the last few months. And he is bringing his voice to the podcast tonight. And that is Kyle Curry. Kyle, hello. Hi. uh, Nice to meet everyone out there. And uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be the resident homosexual this evening. (laughs) It's really nice to have you. Yes. Um, Kyle, I think, was the first one to tell me about. Did I even say what show we're talking about? We're talking about It's a Sin, which is a HBO yeah. miniseries uh, that recently premiered. I don't actually know when it came out. I don't, Kyle, do you know when it actually started airing on HBO? Uh, it's like a few months ago, maybe. Okay. So I think uh, it, it a... hit the beginning of February, or at least that's when the Watch podcast on The Ringer started covering it. So Okay. So yeah. and it's it's a British show, so it probably premiered um over in England earlier. Mm-hmm. Um but it's a five episode HBO miniseries, and it covers the AIDS epidemic in the nineteen eighties and a group of friends in their community uh throughout the eighties into the early nineties, actually, as well. Um, it is created by the same person who is the genius behind the super depressing and bleak show Years and Years that I watched a couple of years ago um, that I'm sure we will talk about. But I highly recommend Years and Years, and I think all three of us highly recommend It's a Sin, which is why we're here to talk about it. Um, Kyle, I think you were the first one to actually mention it. You were the one who said you had watched it all weekend, and I had not even heard about it at the time. Yeah, it was one of those things where I'm just going to check out one episode and then all five episodes later, I realized that I had had binged it. And uh, it's really one of the best things that I've seen this year. So excited to chat about it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's that's exactly how I experienced it as well, Kyle. Um, So a couple of weeks ago, I started it on a Saturday night at like 1030, anticipating that I would watch one or two episodes and then go to bed. And next thing I knew, I was still making cocktails in my kitchen and finishing this show at 3.30 in the morning. I, yeah. I could not shut it off. I, yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's and I, I'm the same way. I, I very rarely binge TV shows and I finish this over two nights. Um, I Once I started it, you know, and I, I have having watched years and years and years and years looks more. It looks into the future versus looking into the past. Um, that was another show that was really hard to stop watching, but it's very heavy. And very depressing, very bleak. And so I was expecting, like, oh, the people who made Years and Years also made a show about the AIDS epidemic in the 80s. Like, that is going to be a total bummer of a show. Um, but it was just so well well made and so compelling that I couldn't stop watching it. And I, I watched it over a Thursday and Friday night, I think last week. Um, yeah, we, we should mention, uh, directed by Peter Hauer and written and showrun by Russell D. Davies. Yeah. So yeah, Russell Davies is the one he made. I think he made some other shows in addition to years and years. Um, yeah. uh, he did a lot of work on Doctor Who and some oh, other uh, BBC, BBC miniseries. Yeah. Uh, Queer as Folk as well. As folk. So. Oh, OK. Big one. Yes. Um, so are you a Queer as Folk fan as well? Did you watch that show? Yeah, I, well, I, I watched the U.S. version as it aired. And then I did go back and watch the, the U.K. version that he had done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also looks like a, a miniseries called Banana and one called Tofu. 
So, um, yeah, uh, everything I've seen. I mean, he's he's had home runs with everything he's created that I've watched so far. So I would be interested to watch what he does next and what other stuff he has done. I'm a big fan of his Doctor Who work, and then he did a couple of spin Doctor Who universe spinoffs from that. Okay. Torchwood being one, which was probably like the queerest of the the Doctor Who franchises. Mm. Um, so what we're going to do now to start is we're just going to talk kind of overall about It's a Sin and why if you haven't watched it, um, you should. And then we'll get it to we'll give a big spoiler warning before we actually start talking about things that happen on the show. Um, so. Is what would you, Kyle? What would you say if you, when you're trying to convince somebody to watch it, why should they watch It's a Sin? Well, I think that it's um, a really compelling character drama, and I, I think it's something that a lot of people, as far as history goes, haven't had a lot of visibility into um, the the kind of connections that that people made during that time in history. For me, I, you know, I knew a lot about the kind of U.S. Um, history of the, the AIDS pandemic, but hadn't thought much about outside of the U.S. So seeing the, the kind of lens of the U.K. over that was, it was really fascinating for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it it really does such a good job of not just developing the characters, but developing this time of you know the late 80s when the aids and you said pandemic is it is what is it the aids pandemic aids epidemic i guess it would be the, an epidemic yeah because i feel like i've always heard aids epidemic um and yeah. i don't i wish i could tell you what the i know the difference and i do not um as we are currently in a pandemic but the uh you know it did such a good job of just showing what the you know, this mysterious virus that was popping up, you know, specifically in the in the gay community and then in the late 80s. And I was so young at the time. I mean, I was born in 1985. So for me, you know, I think my first memory of the AIDS virus is uh, Matt Johnson to announcing that he was HIV, HIV positive, I believe was the first mm -hmm. time that I heard about it. So for me, this was super eye opening just to see um, just such a realistic and deep dive into into how this affected how this affected society in that time. Yeah. So all right. So a quick Google search tells me that an epidemic is a disease that affects a large number of people within a specific community, population, or region. A pandemic is an epidemic that is spread to multiple countries, continents, and uh, communities. Okay. So a pandemic is larger in scope. It's not just contained to a single uh, group of people. Um, and that's, it's actually funny because when you think about the AIDS epidemic, you think about it mainly affecting the gay community, but it also affected people outside the gay community as well, mm -hmm. just because of how widespread it was within the US and other countries that other people who weren't necessarily part of the gay community got it, such as, you know, Magic Johnson, or, you know, the first time I heard about and really was taught about the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s was the story of Ryan White, who was a young man who received, was in the hospital and received a blood transfusion. And that blood had, had been donated by someone who was HIV positive. And he ended up getting HIV and dying because of that transfusion. Um, and his story was very popularly told and retold um, throughout the late 80s and early 90s in various 
biopics, ABC specials. He was on the Phil Donahue show. And um, he also had a, both a documentary and a biopic made about him on uh, HBO itself, which is when I first learned about that case. And also when I first really learned about AIDS and HIV and what it meant. And, you know, this was, you know, around the time when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born in 1980. So I sort of grew up um, in the 80s, knowing sort of being too young to really know what the AIDS epidemic was and then coming into my adolescence and finding out about it because we had HBO when I was a kid and there were all these shows and documentaries coming on and that, that it was like in, in uh, unavoidable to at least have knowledge of it um, due, due to the visibility that especially a service like HBO put around it where they they had multiple um tv shows miniseries documentaries including their very first one in 1987 was called everything you need to know about aids and were afraid to ask which uh came out in 1987 that does ring a bell yeah yeah and that was sort of hbo's attempt to bring visibility within a larger community so that it wouldn't just be called the the gay the gay disease or the gay flu which it had been at that point in popular culture and to sort of raise awareness that this does yes this largely affects the gay community but it also affects larger populations outside of that and here's what you need to know about it um Kyle what it's um I, and that was something I, I wanted to ask you and I know you've recommended to me a couple other documentaries um is there anything that stands out that that really captures the the AIDS virus the way that this show does the way that this show does so the the one of the first things that comes to mind is the 2012 ABC miniseries uh, When We Rise, which is less about just uh, the AIDS epidemic uh, and more about the civil rights movement. So mm-hmm. kind of like this, it spans a time frame, but that goes from the 1970s through 2015. So it does capture the AIDS epidemic in there, and it's mm-hmm. about. Leave Jones and the the mm-hmm. um, gay rights adv- ad, uh, activists. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it had some parallels. This I think is maybe a little bit more polished and a little bit more HBO uh, and a little bit more kind of like in your face as opposed to like trying to be mainstream. And that's what I think was really interesting about this was uh, I feel like you don't often see this type of depiction of gay life and the Mm -hmm. AIDS epidemic in the mainstream, Mm -hmm. especially when you can compare it to something like Philadelphia, which came out in in 1993 as one of the first um, real mainstream portrayals of the the AIDS epidemic, but um, definitely was made for a mainstream heterosexual audience. yeah, that's an interesting connection. You know, as like obviously on this podcast, we're always connecting movies to each other, and so connecting this to Philadelphia. Um, it, I've seen Philadelphia a number of times. I actually really well, I, I liked it at the time. I don't know how it would hold up seeing it in 2021, um, but as a like, huge Tom Hanks fan, I'm sure I would still like it. Um, but I didn't even think about that show or that movie in comparison to this show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then and I would I would um also recommend that people check out the Tony Kushner uh play that was turned into a miniseries on HBO called Angels in America, 
that focuses on a scope about um, as large of a time period as uh, as covered on It's a Sin, but from people living in New York. And so I was going to say the other thing that this show reminded me of is a non-musical version of Rent as well. Mm. Um, although that's fair. I yeah, think I mean, they're all eight, living in one brownstone and they're all. Yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine that um, that Russell Davies was inspired a little bit by Rent. Uh, creating this just because yeah especially them all living together um so uh, the show you know as we said it spans a number of years and it follows um you know four or five particularly close friends or particularly four or five close friends uh mm-hmm. who all live in the in the same apartment or house together um, i believe it's called a flat Zach. a flat yes uh they're flat in london um and each episode is pretty much takes place in a different year i don't know if it mm-hmm. they jump like years and years actually jumps, I think a decade or it, it, it may not a decade, but it, it jumps a large chunk of time, but the same amount of time between each episode. Whereas this, I think just kind of jumped around from a different year to a different year within this uh, five or six year period. So I don't think it was consecutive years, was it? It, uh, it, it was, wasn't. It was, yeah, two or three years between, yeah, mm-hmm. between. So, uh, our first character we're introduced to is Richie, and um, then you know we see him leaving home for the first time to go to college, and this is where he meets people. He he is uh, you know he is in the closet at the beginning of well, for most of this show. Uh, he is well, I guess to some people he is in the closet, um, and his and then the other friends that that he interacts with along the way and starts living with, including uh, Roscoe. There's Colin, Jill, um, and Ash. and Ash is the this, yeah. thank you. So, um, and they all live together and you follow each of those characters throughout the series, um, Mm -hmm. and, and learn more about them and kind of what happens to them throughout this period of time as they're, you know, intersecting with both trying to try to live in society as, as gay men, um, Mm -hmm. and also with this pending, uh, epidemic coming around. And what, what I really like about the introductions of each of these characters that we meet at the beginning between Colin, Roscoe, and Richie is that they are all very unique and different perspectives and reactions of their families to finding out that they are gay. And mm-hmm. they they each um Colin never gets a chance to um to tell his parents when he because you know it's um, well, it's, uh, it's yeah, very different let's, for let's him wait till we get to some the, spoiler stuff. He's still it. he's still incredibly in the closet throughout the series. Um and then the other two are sort of a little more out with their families and open. Um, Roscoe, Roscoe include, has a tremendous scene where he leaves home for the first time to go to London um, with his family. And their reaction is one of the more lighthearted and hopeful moments um, of the show, I would say. And I think he has the most hopeful and lighthearted arc of our three main characters throughout. He's sort of, if you, if you needed a comic relief, He's sort of the comic relief character in a way, but he also deals with some really, really heavy stuff throughout. Yeah. So I mean, um, there's yeah. So let's let's stay spoiler free for just a little yeah, bit course. longer. Um, so not actually touching on what happens to people, but um, you know, I do want to. I, I I think we all really like this show. I think it would be great if there were other things, you know, that are why you would think somebody should watch this, what they should expect going in. Um, you know. And I know well, we talked a lot about how it's well made. Yeah, go ahead, Kyle. I was going to say, I just, I feel like it's such a timely um, 
a timely show uh, with the pandemic that we've all mm-hmm. been going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that for me and my community and the the gay people that I interact with, everyone was kind of like, oh yeah, this is like AIDS. Like we had the instant connection to the pandemic because of what our community has gone through. Oh, I really don't know if um, if straight communities had that same reaction with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that that's like the, the byline of my letterbox review of It's a Sin is oh my God, this is such a crushing allegory to what we're going, what we've all been going through and feeling for the last year. You know, watching people die around us and watching people be cavalier about whether or not they're going to get the vaccine and whether or not they're going to go out and party or whether they're going to take the pandemic seriously. It's been a daily struggle and you see that struggle and feel that struggle through our five main characters in such a deep way. It it really hit me. It definitely hit me in yeah, in yeah. a way I was not expecting. Well, and what's amazing is this show, you, you would think because this show debuted in early 2021 that it was probably filmed like last summer after, mm. you know, especially given how timely it is and how relevant it is with the current yeah. pandemic. But it was all done before it was it was finished in January of 2020 it was when filming wrapped. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's again much like the way I felt about years and years is that there was so much in years and years that was ahead of its time. Um, the closest comparison I would have to years and years is like a serialized version of Black Mirror. Um, and it's it all in the very near future. And it's it's tied to I mean, it, the show starts with like the reelection of Donald Trump. So it's obviously an alternative future. Mm-hmm. But it's just about different things in the way society is changing over. I think it goes. Does it go to 2050, I believe, is uh, how far we go into the future? It, and it's it's set up the same way as this, where it's five or six episodes. You follow the same group of people um, in their lives, and each episode. I mean, you finish each episode, and you immediately it's you're it is heavy. It hits you in the stomach, much like this show does, and you just want to go on to the next episode and see what happens. Um, and that was the way I felt watching your uh, watching It's a Sin as well. I think something else with It's a Sin is that because everyone's gone through the pandemic now, it gives a different perspective and understanding what people went through the, with the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. Um, I think that we, you know, it's been a year that we've all had to deal with this kind of terror and trauma of COVID-19, but thinking about the fact that the AIDS epidemic was an escalating fear over a decade mm-hmm. that, that we saw really kind of hits home. Think about having to deal with that panic for that long of a period of time. And especially when you felt like there wasn't uh, as much of a compassionate reaction because of the community it, it right. affected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, And I mean, I, there were two scenes in particular that I think really speak to that in this show. One, and they were both early on in the show. Um, one was in the first episode, we start hearing people in the background talking about, you know, this mysterious virus that's going on, that there were, um, you know, all these gay men in New York who just recently died. And you can kind of hear people and you know, as the audience where what's going on, because we have mm-hmm. decades of knowledge beyond this of what was happening at the time. The characters have no idea. So you see the characters going about their lives, you know, having relationships with people, meeting other people, and they have no idea what is what these these things are and how it's affecting them. And especially you see that in a couple of the episodes where some of the characters don't realize what's what is going on in society. Um, There was another scene in the show 
where somebody's in the hospital and the way that people act around the person in the hospital because they don't know what we know now about AIDS where it's like, well, how is it transmitted? How do you get it? You know, can I get it? For, I remember, you know, as a little kid, it's like, can you get AIDS from sharing a drink with somebody? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we just didn't know. And much like early on, you know, it's like, it's like cleaning off your Amazon deliveries because you're worried you're going to get COVID from the box that you got in the mail, right? Like same thing. Um, yeah. But but and like I, what Kyle said, it, it affected a particular marginalized community versus COVID-19 was equal opportunity. And I think there's a lot of really interesting parallels between the conspiracy theories and, that have happened around COVID-19. You know, mm -hmm. the the it's just a flu. This was a plan. This is, you know, all of the different QAnon type things that have emerged mm -hmm. versus the conspiracy theories that happened at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic um, where, yeah, media wasn't covering it because they didn't cover gay issues. Right. And yeah, gay people would think that this was just um, a conspiracy against them to dissuade acceptance of gay people, but it wasn't really an issue. So it is interesting to see how conspiracy theories can start and how a lot hasn't changed since then. Yeah, that's and yeah. I mean, there was one striking moment where even like Richie, who you you know think about as our main protagonist, is incredibly dismissive of it, and even to the point where he's like talking about these conspiracy theories, and he's like, I even heard that it's one guy going around just spreading it to everyone, and it's mm -hmm. like, oh, well, that's insane. It, like, why that, would you even think that? Like, it's how is that humanly possible? But, and that's yeah, absolutely I mean, that was absolutely based on fact. During the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, mm -hmm. uh, people thought that there was a patient zero who was a flight attendant who was mm -hmm. flying around spreading it. So that is like direct out of the history books. That's wow. Yeah, I, I do remember them mentioning that on the show. Um, right, well, I think we should get into some more specific stuff for people who have watched all the way through because there is there's uh, there's a lot of very shocking things, very emotionally heavy hitting things in this show that I wouldn't want to step on um, because those reveals really powerful. Um, but anything else that you want to tell newbies as I mean, you can watch this on HBO Max if you're in the United States. I think if you're in the United Kingdom, it's on maybe Channel 4. Um, anything else that you want to tell people before they go watch this if they have not yet? Um, I, I, I would caution people to take it however their emotions are leading them. If they feel like they need a break and to stop it and pause mm -hmm. and come back to it, feel free to do that. If they need to cry, freaking cry. If they want to, you know, drink, freaking drink while you're watching it, whatever. Just like let the show, let the show take you. And also if you watch one episode and decide this isn't for you, like you're not mentally ready to process this, that's okay too. Like, you know, we don't, we're not, we're not trying to force anyone to watch this show just because we think it's fantastic. But, you know, make sure you're mentally in the right headspace for a show like this. Yeah, I think it's, what's, it. what's yeah. interesting is the three of us all come at this from very different perspectives. Um, mm -hmm. And, I mean, I, like I could tie this into things that I've experienced in my life, specifically over like the last year um, and, you know, you know, living with other people, you know, the whole like communal living aspect. I've I've had that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I, I do think that, yeah, this definitely could be triggering for people. I don't I mean, Kyle, do you feel like this watching this? I mean, obviously it hit you differently. Do you feel like it was 
tough to watch or um, were you able to kind of compartmentalize it? Well, I, I think that that a couple of things that struck me is whenever I watch a show like this, and I think that this has done as good of a job as any shows in that are covering the subject matter that I've seen, is that there's there are a whole lot of people who deserve to have their stories remembered mm-hmm. and had you know had to fight to survive. Um, and I think that that's really important. And I also think that it's really important to remember there's a whole generation of people from a community that were totally lost. And you don't necessarily get that as much in um, a lot of marginalized communities. Obviously, there are some th- some big prominent examples of that. But thinking about the fact that an entire generation of elders, of people who are passing down tra- traditions, were just completely wiped out and gone. And like, that's the generation before me. I don't have that to, to turn to anymore. Um, I think is really important to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's also, you know, for me, it, it really did strike me that like, if I had been born a decade earlier, probably me and all of my friends would be dead. Like that's mm-hmm. just the, the way it is. And so when I think of like all of my friends and just like, Oh, most of them would be dead. That's uh you know, it, it it does hit you really hard, but yeah, I think it's, it's an really incredibly hard. emotional thing to think about for sure. Yeah. yeah, I would be I would be very curious. Um, somebody who was born a dec uh, you know decade before you, generation before you, Kyle, who is in the gay community, like what their thoughts are, because they mm-hmm. would be contemporaries with the characters who are in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I I would be I would be very interested to hear how they what their reaction is to this. Um, all right, well, let's get into kind of some more specific stuff. So, you know, hop out now, um, you know, definitely tune in to uh, Movie Ladder Podcast, Movie Forward. And uh, I won't say what we're doing next week, but um, we just did, uh, uh, we just did, we'll do The Way Back with Ben Affleck this week. But a basketball movie, <laughs> very different than this, uh, than this show. So certainly it's about someone coping with grief and loss, but in a very different way. Yeah. So, um all right, well, where do we start on the show from kind of a, a story perspective and, and where the show went? Um, I mean, it, was there a particular character or storyline that you really felt connected to more than the others or was your favorite? Yeah, I mean, I, I connected a lot with Colin's storyline, mm-hmm. mostly because I was the the introspective nerdy kid uh, <laughs> in my group as well. And I definitely had that same kind of found family that you see in this show. Um, and I was the the, the more prudish one, um, which, which I think, and since we're in spoiler alert yep, yep, zone yep, now, yep, I will say that um, I think that made it really hit home when Colin, you know, fell victim to AIDS, having mm-hmm. been the person who you're like, oh, this, this guy's going to be fine. So, exactly. you know, like I probably wouldn't have been fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that that, really um really resonated most with me i i loved his relationship with um neil patrick harris that that kind of goes back to what i was saying about how you've got the generation of elders that pass down traditions and welcome you into the community and thinking about that just being lost is really hard yeah and that's actually something i've never really connected and put together that you know there is an entire generation, much like we we've seen with, with some other communities, but in, in such a different way, where there is an entire generation that is just erased out um, right. of the of the gay community. That 
you know, I think about it as something that affected some people, but it just, you know, and partially that's because it just wasn't covered, like you said. And, you know, I was, I was younger at the time, but, um, you know, I think it's really striking to think about it that way of like, you would have this gap here of like the, like the Neil Patrick Harris character. Did you like that they used Neil Patrick Harris in that spot? Or uh, did you think it was distracting? So, so I read that he was included because HBO wanted to make the show more appealing. It was like the star that they needed to cast to get the, the show greenlit. So that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I liked the fact that the, that most of the rest of the cast were were pretty unknown. I knew yeah. Ricky's dad from Misfits, which is one of my favorite TV shows, but um, most of the cast I didn't know. So it's it stood out, and I thought it was going to be a problem, but I thought Neil Patrick Harris did such an incredible job, and I, I, I felt like he was lost in that role. Like, uh, you know, he just became that character. I thought he did a great job. Yeah. yeah I really I, thought I, all I, the I, performances were great. Um I was I was a big fan. I don't think there's any performance that I can point to that think it's weak. Um, and Brendan, I'll, I'll let you go in a second. But I one thing about Neil Patrick Harris is I didn't even really think about it at the time. But you see this big star in this show, and you assume he's going to be here for every episode. And it's sort of like a uh, you know like another HBO sh- series where you think that there's this big star that's going to be the lead, and uh, he loses <laughs> his head by the end of the first season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's the thing is that Russell T Davies. Um, when I when I listened to his interview that he did on the watch podcast on the ringer a couple weeks ago. Um, incredible interview. People should check it out. Um, he's an incredible, he's an incredibly intelligent guy. He lived through most of what's depicted in this, um, in this show. I mean, a lot of the characters are drawn off of people from his own life. And yeah, I mean, to, to what you said, Kyle, he included Neil Patrick Harris because the, stu- the HBO came back to him and said, we need a name that we can attach to this show for promotional reasons. And he was like, all right, um, I've already held auditions for everyone, you know, and he was very explicit about how he held auditions is that, you know, he ran auditions in British acting journals and British acting newspapers for specifically um, gay and gay and um, homosexual actors and wanted specifically to cast people who had this lifestyle like you know and didn't didn't want to just shoehorn the best actor in he wanted the best gay actor for every part and i do think that you when you watch this i mean you see these people and they're all like gen z right like everybody on the show is very young outside of you know the the, well not everybody but there are five leads are all really young um but I don't look at them and think that these are people who are younger than me. I look at them and I actually see like people in the eighties and that's how this show really transformed so well. Um, as far as character and costume goes, like the show really nailed what I could imagine culture and fashion in Britain in the eighties were, which is a little more um, polished than what the, you know, the, the fashion was in eighties, New York, where it was much brighter and gaudier this was a little more laid back and sort of night. I wouldn't say almost even '90s style clothing, as opposed to '80s for the characters in this show. Like it yeah, wasn't. It is like, uh, like early Saved by the Bell. At times. Yeah, they're like a decade ahead in fashion of what you normally think when you're casting and um, 
doing costumes for a show set in the 80s. And I mm-hmm. I really liked that, though. It like, like really made the characters feel real because they weren't going over the top with the style. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought, you know, I mean, we even how we start off, right? We start off with Richie and he's about mm-hmm. to leave for college. He runs up to um, he runs up to his room to hide his porno mags and it immediately sets you into this. I mean, it is like a it's a lighthearted scene. You know, it, it is it is shown on like a funny tone. But when you especially once you get to the conclusion of the show and you see the relationship, how it evolves between Richie and his parents as Richie is suffering from AIDS and is on his deathbed, um, you you know, that it it really kind of recontextualized that first scene, which felt very fun. You know, it's like it almost is like an 80s teen comedy, right? Where the, the kid is going to hide his pornos from his parents. Um, well, and it's so it, different. Not just that, but the, there's that comedic beat on the um, on the ferry over from Isle of Wight to England, yep. where yes. his dad gives the box of condoms. And it's funny because, like, he doesn't need them because he's not going to impregnate someone but there's that really sinister kind of undercurrent about like oh you actually do need those oh yeah right exactly yeah you you don't think about it you don't think about it for a second when he throws them away and then like five minutes later you're like oh yeah wait he probably should keep those Mm -hmm. he probably should have kept those damn it and then and the same thing with roscoe like roscoe also gets a lighthearted moment when he leaves where he comes down in drag from his room and just says, screw, screw y'all, I'm out of here. And, you know, he has aunts and uncles there that are laughing and loving it. And it's played for like a hurrah, you know, bravo hurrah moment. And then you think about it and you realize like, you know, a car- a person like that probably isn't going to be able to be as open as they want to be in the world as it was back then. You know, and come to think of it, Colin had that similar, like, mm -hmm. it seems like a comedic moment, but it's not where he's talking with his mom and she asks if he's making any friends and you see the hot guy in the background and it's like, oh, that's kind of funny, not realizing the the power dynamic between them and the fact that that's who's going to give him the AIDS that kills him. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. Um. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't. I I feel like with some of the stuff with Colin, it was hard for me to like. There were parts that were a little bit confusing. Like even the way we're introduced to Colin, right? He works in the suit mm-hmm. shop, and he has the scene with the guy who owns the suit shop. And I wasn't sure if they were having an affair or if he was trying to like, um, I don't know what the term would be, like groom him. Um, it's or, that. Yeah. yeah, he was He's trying not- to groom him, and it was like definitely like Colin was not interested in that guy, but. And then Colin becomes friends with Neil Patrick Harris's character, Correct, yeah. who also works. So that's why it was confusing. Because like, well, that yeah. guy also works there. And then it wasn't until Neil Patrick Harris is HIV positive that he loses his job. They fire him. Exactly. Um, okay. It, it, seriously? Well, it it's also like of- he refuses to do anything with him when they're on their trip to New York. And that's why they fire it. It's because he that was used- Colin who was yeah, it Colin who exactly. did it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's how they fire. That's yeah. why they fire Colin. But exactly. Neil Patrick Harris's character also is replaced by like the like David Tennant looking guy. Right. Yeah. 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 Which D- Doctor Who. That's uh... also I love that. I, I couldn't say this at the beginning, but it's great that uh, I did not realize Russell Davies worked on Doctor Who. And then there is like that Doctor Who show yeah. that Richie is on. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And, you know, significantly, right. that is the show where he is confirmed to 
have HIV because the, you know, they have that really powerful moment where the makeup guy says something's wrong with your skin. Right. Yeah. So that was, that was a connection to Russell's work on Dr. Who, but also in honor of uh, a character, an actor from the show who contracted HIV and passed Mm -hmm. away as well. Oh, well. Um, I'm assuming everything is the way that AIDS and HIV are depicted like medically is accurate on this show. Cause there are a lot of things that I didn't realize that I'd learned. I mean, I realized how much I didn't know about AIDS as I was watching this show. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it all seemed really accurate to me. Yeah. Like what, specifically, what was that you... Well, specifically what happened to Colin, how he kind of goes senile and loses his mind. Um, I just didn't mm-hmm. know that. I know, you know, AIDS and HIV affect your immune system. I did not know it could affect you mentally like that as well. Well, I think that was part of the side effect of him contracting it and also having epilepsy. But I was unclear if he got epilepsy, like if he already had epilepsy and it came to the forefront because of the HIV or if something else was going on. But and that was a side effect of whatever secondary disease he also had underneath um, the HIV was also for him to get epilepsy. I wasn't I wasn't sure which was the cause and which was the effect, but. The senility came from him having epilepsy, I believe, and like the infection right. that had spread from that. So, it, it's it's my understanding that that mm-hmm. HIV can can kind of pass through the blood brain barrier, and it's okay. like a less common um, a less common effect, but it does happen. And so mm-hmm. that was what was what was happening. So the the epilepsy was. Um, an effect of HIV in the, in the, got it. Okay. And that was something I, I mean, you know, I, I've heard about other symptoms, but the, you know, having seizures and like, literally we see him losing his mind on the show. Yeah. I had never, Uh, I had never heard of that before. So I, I was unclear which came first. The, so the skin spots is Mm -hmm. obviously (laughs) something that I've seen, you know, that happens in Philadelphia. It happens in other, you know, media that depicts AIDS. What, what actually causes that? Is there a re- do they know what like why that is like a visible symptom of HIV? Yeah, so that is uh, you know I'm gonna I'm I'm not gonna even try and pronounce it mm-hmm. uh, the the type of lesion, but that impacts a number of different kinds of people in different ways, and one of those is immunocompromised people through through AIDS. Mm-hmm. It is um, you know a type of uh, I don't know if it's actually a cancer, but it is, uh, it's something that not only AIDS patients get, mm-hmm. but, um, it has to do with the, the compromised immune system. So when we see the person that Richie is sleeping with and he sees him the next morning and he mm-hmm. has it, I mean, we know watching the show that's shorthand for this guy's HIV positive, mm-hmm. but in the real world, it could be this guy has a, something else and he might not actually be HIV positive. Yes, True, but the show good. wants you to use that short. Right, I get what the show is doing. I, I'm asking in right. in real life, right? Like, that's a good that's a good question. I, I mean, probably not. I think that it's probably rare enough that mm-hmm. that probably not. Um, yeah. If if I think that the other groups, when you have that type of lesion as as a symptom, there's probably like other stuff going on that that's obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously for the show and it does work cinematically that they can show that lesion on somebody and 
it's it is shorthand for then you know okay Richie well, is I, now in danger yeah i think that it's not just shorthand i think that it's probably it was like um top like I think that at the time it was something that anyone in the gay community realized was a, a sign, right? It's something so, to look out for. Yeah. 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 That the I, person I'm, you're having sex with may not be safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you should be looking for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes yeah. sense. Cause I mean, that is obviously a very big moment in the show and you know, the, the reveals when the uh, specific characters do get diagnosed with HIV, um, I think they are all really powerful. I thought when Richie finally goes and takes his test, what was so interesting is I, I think on most shows that would happen at the end of the episode where he goes and gets his positive result and then the episode ends. And that happens in the middle of the episode. Yeah. Uh, the episode before he's waiting to take his test and he chickens out. And, he fails, um, yeah. and I feel like from my perspective, that was a part that um, I could really relate to because there have been times, you know, I, I had to get a COVID test. It's not the exact same thing, but it is that waiting for a test result and just having mm-hmm. that urge to be like, I just want to get out of here and not know. And I'd rather just, I'd rather not know. But then that living with not knowing is, you know, we see over that, that first half of that next episode that like it's killing, you know, it's, it's driving Richie crazy, not knowing. And he's, mm-hmm. he's so worried about it and trying to hide the secret that he in his heart knows the truth and just, uh, doesn't want to admit it to himself or his friends. Mm. So, um, what about, you know, we've talked about some of the other characters and, um, you know, Richie's obviously the main character. We get like half the season really with Colin. Um, but one character who I just felt was kind of underdeveloped and I would be curious if you guys agree is Ash. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I wish we had gotten to know his life a little more and what his, um what his own character traits were like i the 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 main thing that i came away with with him was that he ended up sort of being the um i guess the how do you want to i don't know what the right word is paramour for everyone else in the house he was sort of the guy that was there that they all could go to if they needed comfort Mm -hmm. like he was the he was their rock but I so, wish we had gotten I, a little more from him. Yeah, I, sure. I felt like he was, you know, he's he's sort of that love interest that we would get in other movies and TV shows yeah. where we just we just don't get a ton from him. I think what we really get is how much him and Richie end up caring for each other by the yeah. end of the show um, and how they're kind of that like, will they, won't they throughout the show, right? The, the first episode, they all, they almost end up together and then um, – you know, Ash is much more experienced than Richie and he calls Richie out on it. And, mm-hmm. um, and I actually was surprised that, I mean, it's one of the things I was glad I didn't know is that Ash was going to be in the show for the whole run and not mm-hmm. just, he wasn't just going to be some random guy in that first, uh, scene. So, um, and you know, what about Brennan, what about you? Uh, is there anybody else that you really, you really liked their character development or you felt uh, underserved by? Yeah, so I I really was conflicted about the character development of Jill, where, like, I completely understood her love for all of her friends um, throughout the show and the amount of experience she brings and the fight she has with the, you know, with the train conductor and trying to... um, then fi- then get everybody help 
once she realizes what's happened to him and just sort of taking over that caretaker role she's she's an incredibly well-developed character the the moment she sort of falters in the end is her interaction with richie's mom um you know and that's that's unfortunate um but you can also see both sides with both richie's mom and with her where all Mm -hmm. she wants to do is be with her best friend in the last days of his, his life and all the mom wants is to bury her son in peace and not ever have to think about what caused this again. Right. And, and you sort of sympathize with both of them, mm-hmm. but you also sort of like the mom in the in the end didn't necessarily deserve the things that Jill said to her. Yeah, but at the um, same time, and I would you be totally curious on, she said it. Yeah, I'd be curious on Kyle's perspective on this because Kyle, this is actually one of the things that Kyle and I were talking about after I finished his show. You know, I, yeah. I was I was chatting with Kyle and I said. um, you know, I said, oh, the parents were the worst. And it turns out I, the whole time I thought the dad was the worst and it was actually the mom who was the worst. Yeah. Um, and so Kai, I don't know if you, uh, if you want to weigh in on the parents and, and the relationship they had with Richie. Yeah. So I, I think that I've got a couple of, of thoughts on that. The first is just um, production notes for the show is I understand that it originally was conceived to be an eight episode miniseries mm-hmm. and then they they had planned to have a big jump into the future where the mom mm-hmm. is kind of like in hospice care and jill goes to visit and oh, it's it's revealed that there was a history of kind of uh abuse uh from her father which they mm-hmm. give a line that does allude to that um i i don't think that was necessary i actually yeah. liked the more condensed version and i think that you don't have to have had a history of abuse in your house to behave the way the mom did i I agree Uh, i think that what the mom there's there's a lot of gray area i think that what the mom did in a lot of ways was not excusable or forgivable and i think that the show tries to to like agree with that by showing Roscoe's parents, um, you know, having the moment of catharsis with him, Mm -hmm. showing Colin's mom being really accepting of him. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's not like it's unattainable from parents to to be that way. Um, But I, I also did have a little bit of sympathy because you could tell the mom really cared for Richie and loved him. And I feel like she was as much of a victim of society's Mm -hmm. shunning of homosexuals as, as anyone, because if, you know, society were more open, maybe Richie would have felt more comfortable being open. Maybe there would have been a safer space. Maybe she would have had more time to adjust. Um, So it just, it's like the domino effect of, you know, how, how society has, shaped the narrative really impacted everyone and she had a big loss just like everyone else did mm-hmm. absolutely and it would have felt really unrealistic to me as a viewer if all of the parents of all of these gay characters were perfectly nice and accepting of who their children were by the end of this like mm-hmm. that's not that's not how life works and especially you know? i would feel like, like especially in, in the yeah. in the late 80s yeah. And, you know, probably even into the 90s that it's more the exactly. exception than the rule. Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, I came out to my parents in 2004 and 
at that time, it's still the majority of Americans still were anti-gay marriage. It was, you know, it's not like everything was was well and good because there'd been a couple of fun seasons of the real world, you know. So, you know, I think that it's an issue. It's still an ongoing issue. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think one of the things that, uh, you know, I want to be careful with when I talk about this show is it's not like the problems that are portrayed in it's a sin are exclusive to 1988 to 2000 or to 1991 like you know the societal reaction to gay rights i mean we're seeing so much going on right now with uh transgender bans for healthcare and you know the way the transgender community is treated as well that it's not like we're like oh yeah look at how bad we were in the 80s but like society now is we're we're great now we're so much better um so, um, did, uh, kind of, I don't know if you had, uh, we were talking about Ash and just kind of that I felt like Ash was a very unde- undeveloped character in this show. What, did you have any thoughts on, on Ash yeah. as a character? Yeah, I think both Ash and Gloria, I would have liked to have seen more from both of their characters. I feel like if the, the miniseries had gotten to be a couple more episodes long, maybe they could have had their family backstory and their title card and felt like they were one of the main characters we were uh, following from the first episode. Um, I I really liked how Ash was portrayed. Um, and I liked that um, there were characters who were having a lot of sex and who didn't get AIDS. That was, you know, it really was like Russian roulette. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point too. That it's not um, it's not like every character. You know, we didn't see five episodes, and in each episode, we lose one of our main characters. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, we lose two of the five, um, or well, I guess three because I forget about Gloria as well. If you're including Gloria as one of the five, um, well, and I think that that was when Gloria was talking to Jill, and you know, it was obvious that that he had. Um, that he had AIDS and he said he didn't want people to know because he wasn't a slut that, you know, kind of carries through to Colin getting AIDS because Colin really wasn't sleeping around and mm-hmm. to, to Ash and Roscoe not getting AIDS when you see them sleeping around all over the place. Yeah, that's true. Uh, let's talk about Roscoe because there was one scene that I was just like, I really was, it really made me roll my eyes. And that is the Roscoe peeing in the tea for, uh, for who was it for uh, uh Margaret, Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher's tea. Yeah. I kind of uh, liked it because I felt like the show needed not only a moment of a moment of catharsis for that character that he hadn't gotten up to that point, but it also kind of needed a moment of levity where you could just kind of cheer for something that was happening to these characters. Because for the last, you know, two episodes prior to that, you'd just been getting hit, getting hit in the face with downer after downer. So to have a character have a really cathartic stand up for themselves moment that nobody else had gotten to that point actually like really worked for me. But I understand why it didn't work for some people. All right, come down, come down on one of the sides, Kyle. Where do you stand? Uh, on this? It, I would say that it wasn't my favorite part uh, of the. It of wasn't the, your cup of tea. It wasn't my cup of tea. Hopefully not. But I think that that probably. Um, if I were British, I might have responded to it more favorably because of how horrible Margaret Thatcher and her policies were for the gay community in England. Mm. I think 
um, is probably parallel to how the gay community feels about Ronald Reagan here in the U.S., which is not not warm feelings, let me mm-hmm. tell you, not super warm feelings. And I was talking to you about uh, this, Zach, and I guess spoiler spoiler alert for history, but um, <laughs> in uh, How to Survive a Pandemic, something that I learned that I was really shocked by is that um, a lot of gay um, a lot of survivors of the, the epidemic, like family members and loved ones, went to the White House here in the U.S. and threw their loved ones' cremated ashes onto the White House lawn in protest of the inaction uh, against the, the AIDS epidemic. So, uh, I, you know, I think that being able to include a moment in there where um, it was kind of like a, a hit against the politicians that really were at the heart of driving the inaction, I think was important historically. It was probably one of those things of like, you know, how like you will say as a um, like an anecdote, like I, I would piss in the queen's tea if I could, that kind of thing. Like it was <laughs> it was a cathartic thing for both the character and the audience who maybe lived through that. To be like, oh, yeah, I always said I would pee in the queen's tea if I could, you know, because of this. And then to see that happen, it was probably it probably felt like a realization of something they imagined saying at some point. And I really love actually that context that I didn't know, Kyle, until you shared about Margaret. I didn't know about Margaret Thatcher's policies. I knew nothing about her policies. I didn't even know about Ronald Reagan's policies towards the gay community, really. I mean, I can kind of infer, but um that does add a layer to that scene that makes me like it better. Um, I just, my, my, I guess my bigger issue with it was it kind of undercuts what goes on between Roscoe and, um, I don't even know what the character's name is, but it's the guy who owns the suit store that Roscoe's having the affair with. And, mm. you know, that Roscoe thinks they're in a relationship and, mm. you know, the, the guy's like, oh no, I'm not gay. I just sleep with you on the side. Um, so. A little clarification there. Actually, those are two different characters. So you've got the suit yeah. store. Oh, owner, you're right. Yeah, you're right. It's yeah. like a creepy guy who wants to get the cotton fabric out from underneath your fingernails by being clean, clean, clean. And right. then yeah, the right. guy that Roscoe is with is a British prime minister or a, uh, I'm sorry, British PM, which uh, I don't know enough about England's government to know exactly what that is. But it's basically like a part of parliament, yeah. I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so, yeah. Um, yeah, this is again my uh, old white man um, facial blindness <laughs> that I seem to have on our podcast sometimes. Uh, also, I watched a show a week ago. Um, but yes, so that care, but I mean, I think the development of that plot with that character was interesting mm-hmm. where Roscoe initially is with the person who's just like crashing at that house, at that apartment or that flat, um, and then meets this this older man. And their relationship or lack thereof progresses over this number of years. Well, and that that character, the 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 uh, member of parliament was played by Stephen Fry, who I think is pretty popular in the UK. So I think that that was kind of like a like the the Neil Patrick Harris of England that was in the show. <laughs> yeah. That, I, mean, I've, I recognize the name Steve, Stephen Fry. I've definitely heard that name before, but I'm not sure. Uh. I would have to look and see what it is that I recognize him from. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right. Well, what else, uh, you know, what else is there that you guys want to really cover with this show that um, choices that they made? Kyle, is there anything that comes to mind that you um, you really liked, you really didn't like, um, things you took away from it? 
yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious how you felt about the second to last episode ending with Richie saying, I'm going to live, and then mm. that not happening in the last episode. I It made me feel better watching it because you knew mm. that Richie had tested positive. I thought the way of him uh, revealing his AIDS diagnosis or his HIV diagnosis, I'm not sure if it was AIDS or HIV at the time. It was AIDS at the time that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, was really interesting that, you know, the way that it's revealed is that he is bloody from being beat up by the cops when he's protesting, which again, you're watching this, probably reminded me of the Black Lives Matter protests that we saw last summer. Um, mm-hmm. And that they go to help him and he's like, you can't touch me because I'm bleeding. And they all know what that means. Yeah. And I thought that worked so well as a reveal. Um and I think it fit with his character to say, no, I'm going to like, he was, he was always happy he and was positive, always positive and yeah. optimistic. So him saying, I'm going to live. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if I really, if like you asked me after that episode, like, do you think he's going to live? I probably would have said no, but right. I don't think he needed to necessarily, like, you don't have to live to live, right? You can live exactly. out your life over you know like you can you can live with the limited time you have left which is kind of exactly. more how i took that than i'm gonna live beyond the fifth episode yeah i i agree but by that time it had been a decade and like obviously now i don't know how how tuned in you all are to like the the kind of curve current status of the aids ep- epidemic in the u.s not as much as i should be so yeah. Um, uh, so like, this. yeah, I mean, medicine had started rolling out by then. That was that was pretty effective. So, you know, a part of me did think, well, maybe he's going to be part of the first wave of people that, mm. live, you know, live with it. Um, I mean, as of today, we're in a really, really good place. So um, the the medicine has gotten to the place where a lot of people in the gay community take um, pre-exposure medicine, like daily, daily medicine to make sure that they can't contract HIV. Um, and, uh, medicine also has gotten viral loads down in people enough that, uh, it's untransmissible having sex with someone who's HIV positive. If their viral viral load is undetectable, they just can't Mm -hmm. transmit it. So there's a big push for U equals U, which means undetectable equals untransmissible. So there really is the chance that we can eliminate AIDS in our lifetime, which is amazing. Um, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So, um, Check it out, prep. Um, I have so- seen U equals U, and I had I actually did not know what that means. I, I do think that I am I am less tuned into, uh, you know, what is going on with the AIDS epidemic than I should be, and that's kind of one of the things that this this show illuminated for me that there's how much I don't know about it, how much I just kind of have these preconceived notions from growing up uh, and knowing about it and not really knowing what the current status is. So I. It's very informative to know that. Um, yeah. And especially when you say viral load, that makes me think, you know, I've heard viral load a lot over the last year about COVID. So, you know, it's a term I had not even heard before uh, a little over a year ago. So I was hoping that that Richie would live, but obviously he did not. I am curious uh, a couple more things about Richie's character. So when he goes back to Isle of Wight before he has his like, uh, decline in health when he goes back to visit and he thinks that he's going to tell his parents and then he doesn't and mm-hmm. he meets up with the guy that he used to know and he goes and hangs out with them and propositions him and then dances for him. Mm-hmm. 
do we think that that guy was gay and was holding back because of the the epidemic and not wanting to get AIDS or not feeling comfortable coming out? I'm curious. It's it, it, For me, it was a little hard to read that character and tell, but I kind of liked that that character didn't end up just being a dick who just punched Richie in the face when he tried to proposition him. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, because that's what you're sort of waiting and expecting to have happen in yeah. the show just from watching these types of shows in the past. Um, you're you're waiting for that violent moment against one of our characters. And so mm-hmm. far, we haven't had that violent moment against one of our gay characters. And so you've sort of been tensing for it, waiting to happen, and then you see that scene starting to unfold, and you're like, oh, no, here it comes. Yeah. And then when it turns out to be, like, this beautiful, poignant moment where this guy accepts Richie for who he is and just says, dance for me down the street. I'm going to dance for you. And it's like, it's so beautiful and so haunting and so lovely. I I, I absolutely loved it. I was, I was, it didn't matter to me whether that character was gay or not. Yeah. Um, because so, of the way they played the moment. So yeah. I, I agree with what Brennan said about that. I was expecting him to punch him in the face. Um, and I did think that, you know, he was definitely closeted and um, I think that he turned, I mean, in my mind, he turned him down more for societal reasons um, mm-hmm. than for anything. And I thought, yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I liked that scene a lot. And um, when I talked about, you know, Richie saying he's going to live, I do feel like that scene is an example of Richie living. He's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell my high school crush that I was, yeah. in, or, that yeah. I was in love with him and um, see what happens. And I felt like that was that was what we got. Um, and even though it might not have ended exactly how Richie wanted, I think it ended in a in a more positive way than um, I was expecting. What did you think about Richie's kind of last deathbed talk with his mom, where he said, "That's what people will forget that it was so much fun." Like, what was your reaction to that as straight folks? Um, it's an interesting look. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like I just look at, look at yeah. well, yeah, and I just look at the end result and I'm like, well, he ended up dead of this. So, but he did. I mean, I'm glad that he could look back on his life and say it was, it was worth it. I, I had fun. Yeah, that's kind of how I want to look at my life when I look back on it, too. Like, did I do everything that I really wanted to do in my life? And did I have did I have the most fun I could trying to live life to its fullest? Like that's, you don't have to be gay to have that feeling. I don't think of like wanting to live life to its fullest in whatever way makes you happy. I mean, that's, that's, that's how I felt about it. And I, that's how I took it was like, it's a really beautiful thing to feel like you did everything you wanted to do before you died in a way that, or at least die in a way that you were convinced that you lived a life that made you happy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, that, that meant a lot to me for sure. Kyle, how did those two scenes make? Cause you've asked us how we feel. We didn't ask you how yeah. you feel. How do, how did both of those scenes make you feel? Well, I think that, um, that especially that last scene with Richie, where he was describing that mm-hmm. in, in the gay community, there's so much nostalgia for the pre HIV times like there, you know, the times before the innocence was lost when 
um, I think the gay community came together and created that formed family, which this was a great microcosm of that, of, you know, hey, society doesn't want us, society doesn't accept us, let's create something beautiful and counterculture and that emphasizes connections and love and intimacy and sexuality. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, I think that was almost a eulogy for that time, you know, you know, he was saying that that had passed away, that that uh, that closeness. Uh, and so I thought that that was really moving. Mm. It's interesting, again, you know, more parallels to the COVID-19 where it's like the before, you know, you're talking about the before times uh, before HIV. And there's that nostalgia for that. And there's the before times for before you know, times when we can actually see a friend and hug them, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, um, and what did you think about the uh, guy from high school that he meets up with? What were your thoughts on that? Too? Yeah, it. I, I think that that you're right, Brendan. It doesn't matter whether he was gay or not. Is a great moment either way. Um, but there, I, I felt so much longing in that character setting and watching Richie dance away from the car, and like, even despite the consequences, being able to live his true life. And so that's what that that kind of depicted yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, he shot a shot there, too. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I, it's what I really liked with that, that, you know, instead of taking this diagnosis and, you know, even when he gets it, he says, oh, it's a death sentence. But he's, he realizes in that moment, maybe in the back of the police van, maybe before then, that it might be a death sentence, but he's going to live before mm -hmm. he's done. But we get that shame moment at the end where he he kind of owns up to the fact that even though he knew that not only was it a risk to himself, it was a risk to so many other people to keep keep on having sexual relations, mm -hmm. to keep on not he getting tested. He kept doing it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which to me is like the, the maskless hordes, the people who are like, whatever, mm -hmm. I, I will take the risk on myself without considering your giving risk to other people right so, or more parallels there but he does consider it when it's ash <laughs> right. he does turn it down when it's ash because he can him and ash care so much for each other and that's um, that's a pretty big parallel to how people treat you know wearing masks in current covid times is they they may say that they don't care and walk around but i bet you they put a mask on when they're around their 90 year old grandmother mm -hmm. you know yeah like it's uh, yeah i was reading an article though that after this aired the um the number of hiv tests went went up significantly in the uk so a lot of people watched this show and went out and got tested and oh, i think great. that's a really fantastic uh impact that probably that scene had the most um most impact on uh because of thinking like, oh, not only am I risking myself, I could be putting a lot of other people at risk by not being, you know, yeah. mature at this. And I mean, it's, I, I, again, really, uh, you know, I hate going to the doctor, right? Cause I'm always worried. Like if I go to the doctor, they're going to tell me that something's wrong with me. And like, right. it's, it's like, I do have that like a medical anxiety from too. just yeah. general, like going and getting like a checkup. And so when Richie is sitting in that waiting room and he has to go in and get his results from his HIV test, and he chickens out and he just walks out. And I was like, I get that. I'm like, I've never gotten an HIV test, but I would imagine if I needed to get an HIV test, I, or like if I wouldn't, even if I didn't need one, if I went and got one, that I would act that same way where I'd be like, 
I don't, I just don't want to know. So I had um, mentioned the, the pre-exposure medication um, mm-hmm. that a lot of people in the gay community take. And as like to qualify for that, you have to get uh, HIV and STI testing every three months. Mm-hmm. And even though like I have incredibly low risk, uh, every single time I, I walk in there, it's just horror because mm-hmm. of the thing. I mean, and even, even though it's not a death sentence, it's, you know, there should be no stigma around having HIV now. It still is really frightening. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's life-changing no matter what. I mean, it might not be the same way it was life-changing in 1981, but it's, uh, yeah. It, so I think, it, I just think that that's one of the things that this show just does so well is it just has those, in addition to being crafted and made where you are transported to this period of time, um, it it does such a good job of those emotional moments and really building those up. For sure. Um, one other area that I, I do want to just touch on real quick is the way that the show builds the characters. And it's something that I think that Brennan and I talked about when I finished the first episode and I was like, wow, I was really blown away. I like that so much is that in just like a 40 minute episode, you instantly connect with all of these people where the characters are built up by the, by the second episode, you feel like you've watched a whole season with these people. Right. They, yeah. they instantly make them relatable, sympathetic, empathetic like you're rooting for all of these characters in their own specific ways. Like, I mean, and it's what, it's what makes Colin's death in the third episode. So like, just so gut-wrenching and heartbreaking is like, you're, you're building up, especially with Colin, that Colin is the most relatable of the three to the average viewer. Like he's the quote, unquote most normal one. He's the audience avatar one. And then he's given the task to go to New York and do a bunch of research by Jill and try to find out what's happening to gay men in New York. And you think that he's going to be like this big hero code cracker who's going to spread the message of what's happening in New York throughout London and get everybody woken up and activated. And instead of being that like hero protagonist character that you're thinking he's going to be, he dies, and it's so awful. Like it's and he does he die in the middle of the episode of episode three? Is that another re- big reveal that happens and it doesn't happen at the end? I believe that happens near the end of episode three. Yeah, like no, yeah, because it the reveal. Yeah. That's right, because they do that flashback. They reveal that reveal. he has it in the middle of the episode, and then right. he's dead by the end of the episode. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and I I think talking about building characters, they did such a great job of letting mm-hmm. you go along on this journey of them meeting and creating their, like, it's that found, found family. I think that's really at the heart of this show and the traditions that they build with one another, like the pink mug and their greetings for each other going law and the nicknames that they come up with for each other. And you can see the, the real affection that they have for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I do think that, they're built so well that by in just the third episode, Colin's death does hit you so hard when you yeah. finally, you know, like you've just, you've just met him, you know, like two hours of real time before. Um, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and then for a show to do that, that, you know, most shows it would take, like they just do so they're so economical with the runtime of each episode yeah. that everything is very important. Um, and that episode three also has the scene where Colin is locked up when he mm-hmm. does turn, when he does test positive. And because there's just not enough, they don't know enough and in the way that the community is is treated when they do test positive for HIV that that again is is just horrifying to see that treatment of Colin 
especially for a character that we've come to really really love yeah for sure and it's it actually makes me think like do the british have it right as far as making television goes like i mean this is five episodes the average british television season is usually five or six episodes a piece like i mean this is this is pretty standard for british television i mean episodes of luther are five six seven episodes um the, of the one that seasons i've seen i mean do the british have it right did the seasons need to be 12 13 14 episodes even nope no <laughs> i i am on that bandwagon with you it's crazy that we ever watch shows that were 25 episodes how insane like is lost that, yeah. and like i mean lost is still very good but it's like i cannot believe seasons are 24 episodes of lost or like 24 yeah. episodes of 24 and like these shows yeah, exactly. that we used to, like and it's actually funny as yeah. we're talking as we're talking about all their Older shows we used to watch. Um, I think one of the early like mainstream introductions to HIV I had was um, there was an episode of 90210 where uh, Kyle, you might remember this episode where Kelly is working in the AIDS home, um, the AIDS rehab home, and the guy cuts his hand and she helps him and then thinks that she might have tested positive. I don't know if you did you watch that, Kyle? Do you watch? Did you I watch did. I, show? I remember. I remember that. And um, someone just recently sent me uh, a clip from an old episode of Mr. Belvedere, which okay. was incredibly inappropriate and poorly handled. Where a kid, oh, wow. kind of like Ryan White, got a tra- got HIV from a transfusion, and they were okay. dealing. With it. And it's like they did not know how to handle this topic back no. then. They were trying, but it is uncomfortable. Yikes. Mm. Yeah. I can't imagine. Well, this <laughs> show did not handle it poorly. This show handled it very well. Um, any last words on It's a Sin? I, any last words? That's a terrible phrasing. But uh, oh <laughs> anything before Lord. we close out here? I, I do have one one other thing that I wanted to bring up, and it's because you mentioned it to me, Zach, is that you did not think that Everybody Hurts was a great way to uh, yes. close the show after that amazing last scene where the, it cuts back to them on the park bench and yeah. Richie's giving his his monologue, and then it cuts to every uh, everybody hurts. So I'm curious um, why. I and I agree. The more I've thought about it, the more I agree. And I'm wondering if there's a song that you think would have been a better fit. Well, uh, I will say I love the music in this show. I thought throughout the music was great. Um, and I can't tell you all the songs that played, um, but I just know every time they would, you know, like, I hate that phrase needle drop, but really like every needle drop on this show, I was like, oh, that song's great. So yeah. like, I really thought throughout the show, they built up the music and it fit the time. It fit the theme. What I didn't like is that like everybody hurts is just like, can you be any more on the nose right. at the end of this show? If you're going to pick an R.E.M. song, pick Losing My Religion. What are we even doing here? Well, I mean, it's not even that, but it's like. <laughs> but it's like. Yeah, I mean, the, the song is called Everybody. I mean, like, why did you know everybody like hurts. it, yeah. <laughs> I, I would like to throw out a contender for the song that I think that the show should have ended with. Oh, and good. that is the song These Are the Days of Our Lives by Queen. Uh, okay. It was released. So the Richie passes away in 1991. That show, that song was released in 1991. Freddie Mercury passed away in 1991. Oh. It really is. It was the last last time you saw Freddie Mercury on camera was his video for that, where he is just skeletal and emaciated, but pushing yeah. through it. And the the song is really all about it's it's Richie's last. It's Richie's line about they'll forget how fun it was. It's like. Hey, this is coming to an end, but like we can't forget how amazing our life was, and I think that that's that last shot of them on the park bench was that too. Incredible, yeah, yeah. Uh, that would have been perfect, also because Richie reminded me a lot of Freddie Mercury. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think he kind of looks like him, but I just I, I got Freddie Mercury vibes from Richie. So ending with a Queen song would have been perfect. And we will end this podcast with that song. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I like it. Um, all right. Well, this was uh, incredible, guys. Yeah, this well, was great. I think, uh, Kyle, I'm really glad you were able to come on and give us the yeah, thank perspective you, that we didn't have on this show. So Yeah, thanks for the invite. Yeah. Um, well, okay, so, you know, we always end with, like, our connection. So what would you connect, what would you tell people to watch after watching this? If you had to give one suggestion, Kyle, you go first. Yeah, so I would say that everyone should watch the documentary, How to Survive a Plague. It's okay. really, really good. Um, and I'm going to revisit When We Rise as well, that uh, the mini series that ABC did. All right. Brendan? Adding How to Survive a Plague to my Letterboxd watch list. Um, I have never seen the Ruffalo movie from HBO, The Normal Heart, so I just added that to my watch list as well. And I would also highly recommend people check out, if they loved this miniseries, check out the 2003 HBO miniseries Angels in America. Um, it's based on a Tony Kushner play. It's incredibly moving and powerful, and yeah, every everybody should see Angels in America. Yeah. I, w- I want to piggyback off of that and just also mention um, that during the pandemic, the National Theater has released mm-hmm. a lot of their um, their recorded stage productions of shows. And I am halfway through watching Angels in America from the National Theater Live oh with awesome. uh, Nathan Lane and Andrew Garfield and Russell Toby, which Richie from uh, from It's a Sin was named after. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yes, check out the HBO version. Check out the National Theater Live version. Really good. Awesome. Um, can, I, can I actually end on one sort of lighthearted note about the character of Richie? Yeah, I, let me give my connection first. Okay, go ahead. Give me your connection. All right. My connection is probably an obvious one. I will say that everybody should watch Years and Years. If you like this show, just Years and Years, it's not about, um, you know, it's not about a specific disease, but it is looking into the future versus looking into the past. Um, It is very, you know, it is very bleak, but it's just as well made as this show, and you will get through it in a day just like you did with this one. Now, what is your lighthearted? thing so i i know that the character of richie tozier was named after someone in russell davies's life and a, and a former british actor but he also has the same name as a main character in stephen king's it and i was really distracted by that <laughs> so you know as a stephen king fan i was a little distracted by his name that's all that's all is that intentional i mean it must have been right? it, it must not have been intent it's definitely not intentional because there's no connection no, there's no connection. They just have the same name, and it was really distracting. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That's all I wanted to say. I thought that was kind of fun. So, all right. Well, <laughs> uh, that wraps it up for this bonus episode. I'm probably going to post this to Digesting Dark Feed as well, since it is about Fantastic. a TV show. Di- um, so all about it's a sin. And um, we will be back with another episode of the Movie Ladder podcast next week. Uh, it is not yet Friday, so I cannot reveal what we will be watching. But oh, last week we watched. If people take the time to listen to this, they should. I don't even know if Kyle's watch. listening. I don't know if Kyle knows what we're watching next week. I don't want to spoil it for I, him. I know what you're. I know what you're oh, watching. All right. Uh, so we watched the Way Back last week. We will be watching the Way Way Back next Woo. week. So Way Way Back is a very fun summer movie. But, Road trip. Uh, the way back was a. Did you watch the way back, Kyle, or did you skip that one? I I, I didn't. I've been a, a little bit uh, underwater. Uh, so yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Next time it circles back around, I'll watch it. We both liked it. We both liked it. Yeah. Uh, but it's no longer on HBO Max. Uh, it's a sin is on HBO Max, as is Years and Years. So check those out. Um, 
And Kyle, uh, anywhere you want people to follow you, anything you want people to keep up with what you're doing? Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me on you can follow me on Letterboxd. I there you think. go. Yeah. Definitely uh, follow Kyle on Letterboxd. What's Maybe your Letterboxd name? DSIG80, probably. Let me double check. I think it is. That's, that's usually <laughs> my name on that's everything. Yeah. I'm also on TV Time. I'm also on Untapped. So basically, any anywhere that you make a list of nerdy things, <laughs> board game geek, anywhere, uh, I'm nice. DSIG80. I uh, had to give up on Untapped, but. I'll have, I, to, I yeah, I'll have to follow you in Untapped. I don't think or, <laughs> I don't use it that much anymore. But um, yes, Kyle, uh, you recently watched uh, Come and See. Everybody is recently watching Come and See. Olin just watched Come and See as well. Yeah. So it was great. I got it from the library. You you inspired me to get more into my library, which oh, is library is the best. Which is next door to me. So I'm wow. on Hoopla, but I also just log in and get DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff. Yep. It's great. Yeah, the library is the best. So, all right. Well, Kyle, glad to have you on. I'm sure it will not be the last time that you are on the Movie Ladder podcast. And uh, yeah, Brennan and I will be back next week to talk about the way, way back. So, hopefully, you enjoyed this. It's a sin. Episode.